0: As I said at the start, uh, when I was interviewed, I've got four children, Chloe, Sarah, Emma and Angus. And I, I think we might have a photo come up of them, of a recent uh, trip. <laughs> we, were coming, we were coming back from uh, New South Wales, crossing from the Badlands back into Queensland. And you had to do the obligatory photo of stand with one foot either side of the border and Chloe, obviously the tallest, Sarah, Emma, Angus. The little fella, he thought that was amazing that you could have a foot in two states at one time. Dad, where am I now? I said, you're always in Queensland, even if you're not physically little mate. Your heart is always there. I look at this photo, and it's one of my favourite photos. I've got it as a screenshot on my phone. I just look at it occasionally. They just make me happy. My kids make me happy. Not always. I mean, you don't see the turmoil that went into that photo or the number of times we had to get them to... It's one foot either side of the line, mate. (laughs) No, 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 not both... No, 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 one... That's it, stop, stop, just stop, right there. That's the photo, stop. Oh, now you've got your eyes shut. Okay, looking at the camera. But it takes me back when I look at these kids to the day they were born, each of them. And I can remember uh, the moment that each of them was born, just for that moment... Nothing else in the world mattered. I remember at the time that Sarah was born, our second kid, the, there was an election going, a presidential election in the States, and I'm interested in world uh, politics, and I had been really interested in that election, but for that moment when she was being born, couldn't have cared less who won the election. Couldn't have cared less. That was what was mattered. That's what mattered. And in the passage... That Tim just read for us, we just have this moment, don't we? We just have a moment when the veil of humanity is lifted. And I think for just that moment, nothing else mattered. The disciples got to see Jesus with the veil lifted and they got to see his divinity. What a thought! And it's so easy to, to run past this passage and go, oh yeah, we know what that's about. We know that when Jesus was uh, transfigured that we got a glimpse of his divinity because that's what we believe and then we move on. But let's stop for the, mo- the, mo- uh, the moment. Let's feel this moment when the veil was lifted and nothing else mattered. We're told three things by Mark about what happened in this moment when Jesus was transfigured. And there's something about the way Mark writes that, where's the detail, Mark? I mean, look at the way it begins. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured. Oh yeah, okay, fair enough. Really? Give me more, Mark. Give me more. Tell me why Peter, James and John. Now, some people say, well, they became the early leaders of the church. They were his inner three and all the rest of it. And this was God, uh, uh, Jesus being thoughtful about training up his leaders. I've heard someone else say that perhaps the reason uh, Jesus took Peter, James and John is because James and John were the sons of thunder... Peter had a way of having his mouth run away from him. And like a parent with children, he had to take those three away from the others because if he left them alone, they would start a fight. They couldn't be trusted. So he said, right, you three, you've got to come with me. I can't leave you alone. Come on. I don't know. We're not told. Mark doesn't tell us. In fact, in some of the other accounts of the Gospels of the Transfiguration, they had fallen asleep on the mountain. They were woken up by the Transfiguration. You can imagine, we believe that when Mark wrote the gospel, that it was because of what Peter had told him. You can imagine Mark saying to Peter, uh, "So what did you do? What, what were you doing when, uh, when Jesus was transfigured? Oh, I fell, I'd fallen asleep. <laughs> I, I, do, I dozed off. And Mark tells us three things about what this transfiguration was. The first is, he was changed. Verse 2, it says, he was transfigured in front of them. Now when we use that word transfigured, it's a di- strange word, not a word you often hear in general conversation, but it is the Greek word metamorphosized. It's the same word that's used of a caterpillar going into the cocoon and coming out a butterfly. Something physically changed. This is not just Jesus like this light is on me that suddenly the light was on him or it came out of him and that was it. Something physically changed about Jesus. It wasn't just appearance; something changed, and I think the reason that Mark is so scant in the details is it is so hard to explain because they got a glimpse of heaven, and we know what Peter uh, Paul says about what it's going to be like in glory: no eye has seen, and no ear has heard. Something about the way Jesus changed was beyond words; he was transfigured in front of them. The second thing he tells us is the clothes became dazzling white. You've got to love Mark's description, don't you? When Luke and Matthew talk about this passage, they say his clothes became like lightning. You can imagine the gospel writers sitting around in heaven talking about how they described this event. And Matthew and Luke are like, he became like lightning. What did you say, Mark? I said it's like white king. (laughs) My mum couldn't get it as bright as that. Thanks for the detail, Mark. It's really helpful stuff. Not only was he transfigured, his clothes even shone. There was something so eminently bright, amazing about Jesus that his clothes glowed. And then it says something that I just can't even get my head around. Verse 4, Elijah appeared to him with Moses. Now, I've got so many questions here. How did they know it was Elijah and Moses? Were they wearing name tags? Did Moses walk around with a tablet under each arm like he was carrying the law? I don't know. We're not told. Mark doesn't tell us. But here's the reason I think why it's Moses and Elijah. And this is a key thing for us to understand about this passage. Remember back in Exodus chapter 33, God is telling Moses to lead my people and Moses says, I will not do it unless I see your glory. And we read in Exodus chapter 33 that when uh, Moses asked him to see his glory, the Lord answered Moses, uh, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favour with me and I know you by name. Verse 18, Moses said, please let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Moses wanted to see the face of God. And God took him onto this mountain and he showed him his glory, but he said, my face you cannot see. Similarly, Elijah, in a moment of desperation, if you don't know the story, this is a fabulous story in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. He had this remarkable victory. He was down in the depths of despair and God takes him to this mountain. And if you know the story, there's an earthquake, but God is not on the earthquake. There's a storm, but God is not in the storm. And then there's a still, small voice. And God was in that. Elijah saw God Glory on the mountain. Moses saw God's glory on the rock, but neither of them could see God's face. Here they now stand on the Mount of Transfiguration. What do they see? The face of God Himself. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Moses and Elijah? This is a statement of divinity. So it's easy to say about Jesus or we like him as a teacher. That's fine. But Don't talk to me about him being a saviour because that means I need a saviour. We may even like the idea of Jesus being saviour, but don't talk to me about him being Lord because that means something for me. We like the idea of Jesus as a man. You can find thousands of people who walk the streets. They will tell you Jesus was a good guy. People don't have a problem with Jesus the good guy. What people have a problem with is Jesus being divine because if he is divine, it makes a demand of me because it makes him my God. And in this moment, Jesus is on this mountain. He is glowing brighter than the sun. His clothes are whiter than White King. Elijah and Moses are there. And what are they talking about? Well, typical Mark, he doesn't tell us. But thanks to Luke, we do know what they were talking about. They were talking about his departure. They were talking about the cross. They were saying something to Jesus like, you've got this ahead of you. Get ready. All that we preached, all that we did, and all that came before is all coming to this moment. Gird up your loins, Jesus, because it's going to get tough. And there it is, friends. Friends. That's the both of Jesus. He is both the one who has transfigured as a sign of his divinity, but he is also the one who would go to the cross. He is both divine and human. He is both and, and it's because he is both and he is our saviour. He is our Lord. These two men had always wanted to see the face of God, and now they had. And then Peter opens his mouth. I love Peter. I'm probably the only person in the room that does this, but in an uncomfortable or nervous situation, I tend to say dumb stuff. I'm sure no one else here ever does that. I'm the guy in the room that when there's an awkward moment, I come out with something that my wife looks at me and says, really? That's what you thought to say? Peter comes out with, Shall I duck down to BCF and buy some tents? That feels like a right thing to say here. Read it again with me. uh, What are we up to? Verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, some tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, before you get into the whole question of why did he say it, what great theological understanding did Peter have? Stop searching, because it tells... Because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. My father used to say to me, here's a life lesson for you, mate. When you don't know what to say, don't. Be quiet. See, in this moment, they're faced with Jesus, most clearly seen as divine in all his earthly ministry this was not the time for Peter to speak. This was time for Peter to be quiet. And so often in our lives, we are so busy, we are so noisy, so, we feel like we've got to fill every empty moment. In this moment, looking at Jesus, the right response was, Shh. I have a 14-year-old daughter, 15-year-old daughter, who every so often when I get a bit amped up over stuff does this. Dad, shh. Can I tell you I hate that? I hate it. But nine times out of ten she's right. Shh. I don't like sitting still. There's a, there's a joke in and people I know that when Mark's over a situation, he wants to move on, my leg starts to, to jiggle. I'm ready to move on. I'm on board of this now, let's go. I'd get up, I'd, I'd do stuff. I like being busy, but there are, there are times when I need to stop. Shh. We don't even have to be busy doing stuff. Sometimes we just fill our lives with so much noise, don't we? Social media fills our lives with so much noise. There's always noise going around us. When I think the call of God is the same to us as it's the same to Peter, when a cloud appeared overshadowing them, a voice from the cloud says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Just as the cloud, when Moses would speak with God, the cloud would come down over the tabernacle and they would speak to each other as friends. Now the cloud comes down and it says, shh, listen to him. Don't listen about him. Listen to him. If Jesus is who he is and we are who we are, our job is to listen. You know, we spend so much time In our lives, in our churches, in our world, in our families, being so noisy. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. We live in the most tumultuous time of the last 30 years. We talked earlier about the great disruption. COVID has just got the boggle box and thrown everything in the air. Politics, I mean, my goodness. World politics, Russia invading Ukraine. The the world feels like it is in flux. We just don't know the things that used to be foundational feels like the foundations have been torn apart. And in the midst of all of that noise, we still see Jesus standing there as King and Lord of the world saying, shh, listen to me. Listen to me. And yet, just as quickly as this scene has happened, just as quickly as Jesus has transfigured, we, know, we don't know how long he was in that state. For a little while, apparently, because Moses and Elijah and he had a conversation, so it must have lasted for some time. It's over. The cloud is gone, and they see no one there except Jesus. And they were coming down from the mountain and Jesus ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Oh, do you reckon they kept that secret? It says they did. But a man, I mean, there's two ways of going there, right? You go down and say, guess what we just saw? And they go, no, you didn't. You didn't really see that. You're just making it up. It says they didn't, so we'll believe that they didn't. It says they kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. They didn't even understand the cross and the resurrection yet. They had no idea. And so instead of learning the lesson of shh and listen, of course they say something again. And they ask the question why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Because they know the passages of scripture, particularly in Malachi, that said Elijah would come before Messiah. And you can see their brains turning over here, saying, well, hang on a minute. If Elijah was meant to have already come and we've just seen him on the mountain with you, well, what does that mean? Because surely he should have already come. And Jesus says to them, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things? See, they want to talk about the, the timeline. They want it that, but Matthew affirms that Jesus confirmed to them that Elijah had come in John the Baptist. They want to talk about Elijah, but Jesus takes them back to what's actually important. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? See, they want to talk Elijah, he wants to talk the cross. This divine, transfigured, powerful Jesus has a laser focus to the cross. He has come and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as is written about him. So often we want to talk about our agenda. Jesus keeps bringing us back to his. Shh. I'm going to the cross. Shh. Listen. If Jesus is who he is, and and we are who we are, then the challenge of this passage is the same for us. ...as it was for Peter. Shh. Listen. John Owen, one of my heroes of the faith... ...who spent decades contemplating the glory of Christ... ...and meditating on the glory of Christ, wrote this. The more I see of the glory of Christ... ...the more the painted beauties of the world... ...will wither in my eyes. The more I see of the glory of Christ the more the painted beauties of the world will wither in my eyes. I fill my life with so much noise. Social media is noisy. Jesus says, shh, listen to me. And you know, I think this isn't just about individuals either. I think, let's, let's be honest here, I think it's churches as well we fill our church services, we fill our church lives with so much noise and activity, and we think that it, that is a replacement for Christianity, almost. When our role in the church is also, shh, listen. We're going through a five-year strategic plan process at the moment as a church. And so I did a little bit of research online, reading different authors that I like, that I respect, Bible guys that I respect, And look for what they describe as the markers of healthy churches. One guy had five, one guy had seven, one guy had nine. If I looked harder, I'd probably find someone with 11. Like, you just pick a number. Do you know the constant of the five, seven, and nine that none of them had? Prayer. How can we be healthy Christians? How can we be healthy churches if we're not praying? Listen, this is the Jesus that was transfigured in their, before their eyes. This is the Jesus that was focused on the cross. This is the Jesus that went to that cross. This is the Jesus that rose from the dead. This is the Jesus that ascended to heaven. And this is the Jesus that is coming again. Listen to him. Not just about him, but to him. And the invitation is we shall be changed as well. Paul tells us in Philippians that we are being changed from likeness, from glory into glory. So this is the challenge of this passage. To see Jesus for who he is. And like the divine voice said, listen to him. So before Spencer comes up, to lead us, I presume, in our last song. Should have checked beforehand. What I'd like to invite us to do is I'm going to pray and then I'd like us just to sit for three or four minutes in quiet. Not thinking about what we're going to do for the rest of today. Not thinking about the stuff that's got to be organised before we kick on into Monday. But to sit and listen. Jesus, what do you want to say to me out of this today? Listen to him. So let me pray, and then Spencer, if we can leave it a couple of minutes, we'll sing together to close. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his goodness. Thank you for his grace. Thank you for this moment when we see Jesus with the veil lifted and nothing else matters. And we confess that we, like Peter, want to fill the awkward moment with noise. We want to bring in our agenda. But we want to heed the words of the Father. Listen. I pray that we would listen well, Lord. That the, the sin that is in our lives that plugs up our ears we would deal with, by your Holy Spirit, that the fear that clogs up our ears would dissipate, the anxieties, the hurts, whatever they are, that stop us from being still and listening well, that you would deal with them and we would listen. And Lord, once there has been a time of listening, that we would respond. Thank you for Jesus, that he is the one who, was, who glowed like the sun, but he's also the one that died on a cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen.